0: absolutely best thing i've done in my career out of everything i've done hands down and within my first three days of transferring into the office uh went out to a fire scene with the guy we were i was riding with the guy that i was replacing out in western chestfield and uh, that's when i first saw you and bailey and i'd always wanted to be some type of canine handler and i saw You two, and I'm like, that's what I want to do.
1: Archer, who ended up replacing me, uh, he actually told me one time I I went over to uh, station 13 and I walked in, and he came, I didn't know him from Adam, and he's a larger than life personality, but he came out and he said, I want your job, your car, and your dog. (laughs) And he ended up getting all three of them at one time. So, uh, yeah, you're right. It was one of the coolest, it's the coolest thing I've ever done in my career.
2: Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook podcast. I'm your host Robbie Dawson, and this podcast has officially gone to the dogs. It's virtually and literally. Uh, commonly known as arson dogs, canine teams have been used in investigation of fires for many years. And in central Virginia, I think one of the first canine teams uh, worked in around Richmond, came out of the city of Richmond Department of Fire and Emergency Services. And I was lucky enough to work with one of the other early K-9 teams in Central Virginia out of Chesterfield during my tenure with the fire marshal's office. And unfortunately, the lifespan of our K-9 colleagues isn't as long as ours, and both of those highly trained members of the organizations have crossed that rainbow bridge, as they say. But today, joining me on the podcast are the two-legged members of those K-9 teams to share a little bit about their time in the fire service, and particularly, particularly their time working as canine handlers in their respective fire marshal's office. First, a former assistant fire marshal and also served as a fire marshal in the city of Richmond for a while. Now currently a captain with the Richmond Department of Fire and Emergency Services is Captain Mike Martin. Mike, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honor.
2: And uh, we're going to talk about uh, your dog, Bailey, a black lab that uh, I guess was my first experience in working with working with canine teams, and uh, we'll get into a little bit of, that, bit of that story and kind of what made me uh, eager to uh, get our canine. And also joining me is now-retired former assistant fire marshal lieutenant and investigator with Chesterfield Fire and EMS, Bobby Ralston. Uh, and uh, Bobby's dog, Hero, was a golden uh, lab – no, a yellow lab. I do not say golden retriever, but it's a yellow lab – and worked in Chesterfield for a number of years, and the two of those guys retired at the same time. So welcome, Bobby.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: And uh, we, we might get to talk about some of our other times together. I wound up working for you for a while at number nine, <laughs> and uh, and then we wound up working together in the fire marshal's office, and then uh, somebody encouraged me to go check out this job in the fire marshal's office one time, and I think it was you, and I walked in the office, and that's all she wrote, as they say, so, so thanks for uh, getting me involved in that um let's start off with uh some of y'all's backgrounds um uh, bobby how did you get started in the fire department and uh, where did uh, where did your career take you um i got
0: interested in the fire service in the mid-60s my father was a uh, volunteer firefighter and uh, back then uh, there was a crew of us that uh, our fathers were all firefighters and we hung out at the fire station Almost every night and uh, every day on a weekend, and we actually got to ride the units to calls and help out drag and hose and things and uh it was pretty interesting by by the young age of uh ten or eleven I'd already been taught how to pump a fire engine, and uh the handwriting was on the wall. I joined the volunteer fire department myself in uh, October of nineteen seventy five and uh moved on from there and, and that was my goal one of my life goals was to uh, have a career in fire
2: service and it certainly achieved that what where was that volunteer time was that in chesterfield or yeah yeah, yeah. it was a wag staff so the statute limitations is over for you riding engine 10 back in the day okie doke <laughs>
0: it was a uh, there were some rough times at 10 when uh, when i first joined it was all volunteer, and then. They put career personnel in there on a daytime basis, and uh, a lot of the folks in there that were volunteers didn't appreciate that. And uh, that was probably one of the bloodiest volunteer career wars I've ever seen or heard of.
2: Wow. Well, maybe we'll get together with some of those guys, and uh, we'll have that telling of those tales one day too. That'd
0: be worthwhile.
2: Cool. When would you get hired?
0: Um. I worked for Chesterfield for 32 years. I started out um, worked at the police department for a little bit before enlisting in the Marine Corps. And uh, after I came back from active duty, I went to work for the sheriff's office. And uh, the rotating shifts we were on, uh, well, they were very hard. And uh, with my fire service background and seeing 24 and 48 off instead of— uh, Seven days of days, seven days of evening, seven days of midnight. Um, I
2: knew where to go. A little better schedule. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I knew you were in the law enforcement side for a while too, and you were a special police officer in Chesterfield after, even after you got on with the fire department. Mm-hmm. Too, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think uh, for anybody who doesn't know, what Bobby's now in his retirement life, uh, program manager for the law enforcement school for the Virginia Fire Marshals Academy and. Uh, I know we talked with Russ Chandler a, a while back, and uh, he should be on one of the episodes as well, and he's kind of set the groundwork for some of the work that Bobby's doing now with the law enforcement school for the fire marshals in Virginia, so thanks for thanks for sticking with it. Russ is uh, certainly the father of the fire marshal
0: program in the Commonwealth. That is, that's an understatement, I believe.
2: What about you, Mike? How did you get your start?
1: Um, high school. I'm not nearly as old as this guy beside me, I'm realizing. <laughs> I was still in high school when he got in the fire department. Uh, um, some guys in the, uh... Well, with age comes beauty, apparently, too, as well. Eh? That's true. <laughs> that's open for discussion, <laughs> but whatever. Okay. Um, some guys in the, uh, in high school, friends of mine, started volunteering in the Henrique Volunteer Rescue Squad around 1975, 76. And, uh, from that, I, be, I actually became the junior squad president, um, at, for a year, and, uh, From that I kind of realized I wanted to do something in uh, emergency response. Uh, I I enjoy the making sense out of chaos. And uh, so just kind of trying to figure it out, I I really didn't have a preference whether it was police or fire. I joined the uh, uh, Richmond International Airport, it was Bird Field at the time, and joined their uh, um, uh, public safety officers. And so we did a week of police and a week of fire where you had law enforcement powers on on, uh, airport property. And then the next week, you'd be out riding the uh, airport fire trucks, the big ones. Uh, One of them had two 460 engines in it and carried 3,000 gallons of water and I think 500 gallons of foam, protein foam. (laughs) Smelled great. Oh, yeah. So I did that for a couple of years and realized that they didn't do enough of either. So uh, I started applying. I applied for Chesterfield Police, uh, Henrico Police, uh, Richmond Fire, Chesterfield Fire, I think, also. And uh, the first one to call was uh, Richmond and uh, my brother-in-law Speaking was, of Richmond. <laughs> You're running down the street now. Yeah, I'm proud of my boys. <laughs> um, they actually uh, they called me, and, and uh, my brother-in-law actually encouraged me to apply at the time. He said that they were hiring, so uh, I went and put an application in, and uh, I uh, tested very well. I was very proud. I came in sixth on the list out of, like, 1,200. And uh, I laughed at Nancy when she told me that over the phone. I said, you must have the wrong person. I checked the number again. And... And they ended up getting hired on the first list, and, uh, and then it's been awesome. Uh, been in the fire service for 37 years. This June on the 11th. Wow.
2: So, so. certainly two long distinguished careers between the two of you for sure. Any, um, any big incidents that stand out in your mind that kind of either were um, comedy of errors or made a big impact in your career or, or how you do your job today or did your job? We uh, Of course, I had the uh, 933
1: West Broad Street fire, which which was national news at the time, and I was in charge of the investigations unit, so I didn't fight the fire. But um, we actually called for Henrico's um, command post their Fire Marshal's command post, and uh, that was an interesting uh, probably two-year ordeal dealing with that and ended up testifying in, in the trials for that and so forth, a pretty big loss, national news and so forth. And then uh, the other big one for me is the Harvey family. Um, I was the first law enforcement person on scene there. And I was told when I was called that it was a potential two fire fatalities. They didn't know at the time that there'd been a murder. And so there was two police officers there directing traffic at the intersections. And I was the one that kind of started pulling people because the firefighters were on, were in shock. And so I just kind of got a, a perimeter established and started pulling people out and taking their name as they came away from the bodies. and. That started it. We did some incredible work with that. We went to Beltsville, Maryland, and recreated with the ATF the uh, the entire basement. Obtained some of the same uh, items that were in the basement from where we found on her computer, and we burned that same structure six times. Achieved very very similar results to what our our uh, photos showed in two of those. So uh, that was a probably a, a hallmark of the career.
2: Well, well. Uh, The first incident you talked about, the 933 West Broad, um, that's chronicled a little bit with uh, Keith Andes and Sylvester Henderson on Episode 3 for this, and that's one of the ones I got them to talk about from an operational standpoint. Um, And they actually mentioned your name, too, because you handled the investigation on that one. But uh, that Harvey family one is one I'd I'd forgotten about. And I, I know when I got in the fire marshal's office, there was a lot of using that case as kind of, Highlighting the right way to do an investigation. So you want to talk about that one? You know just to give a kind of a high overview of what what was the the scenario? yeah, these uh they,
1: they, initially the police thought because of and and I Fell right in with that initially they thought it was somebody that knew the family it, it seemed to be so personal and so up close and uh, They were they, they were we were all off base. It was uh it was totally random which made it even worse um apparently the the family was home they were having a chili party that afternoon the door was open nice neighborhood over in the south side of richmond i mean it, the houses were fairly expensive um nothing run down in the neighborhood whatsoever and not this is not the place you would expect something like this to happen randomly but they uh they just kind of walked in and took the family kind of hostage and got them into the basement one lady uh brought one of the the daughters home during this event and uh did not realize that they were even there the mom um Mrs. didn't realize harvey, the bad guys were there miss <laughs> harvey uh, they told miss harvey apparently that if uh that they would kill them if they if she let them in the house so so she kind of when they opened the door the the daughter ran in and passed mom and usually the other little girl did too and mom stepped in front of her and stopped her and said yeah we're not indicated we're not doing very well today so they left and of course they uh brutally murdered them um set the house on fire, and because the house was set on fire, the fire department got there first. They pulled two of the bodies out into the side yard, and uh, the call came in. It was I think it was January 1st, so I was on call that day, and uh, they called me, and they said, we've got a double fatality, we think, and gave the same order I always give, you know, rope it off, put the fire out, leave a two-man hose team inside to, for hot spots. I'm on the way. And when I got there, the bodies were in the side yard, obvious, taped, and, and bound, uh, hor- horrific and uh, one of the guys uh, Captain Neville he just got promoted battalion chief. He was uh, He tried to, to work the the first victim mrs. Harvey and as he he you got a picture a firefighter full speed And you know got a victim he goes down he starts to give the uh, CPR and he opens the mouth and it was like something's not right He reaches in and pulls a sock out of her mouth and so you got to imagine his mindset. I mean, it's, you're going 100 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden you can't really compute it. It doesn't, doesn't add up. And so when I got there, they were all um, kind of around the bodies, and so I, I roped it off, um, started bringing them out. I knew how to handle the, the um, entry log and so forth. I got police on scene. I got the homicide team there. It ended up being a, a long-term investigation. Uh, these guys had killed several people, had mutilated a guy up in D.C. And this was the Briley brothers, if I'm not No, mistaken. no, this That's was uh, Ricky Javon Gray and uh, Ray Dandridge. Um, Ray and Dandridge. Ray Dandridge. And they had another one, um, Ashley. Uh, I can't remember her last name. But they ended up, uh, about a week later on Southside, they, they, they came up with a, a plot to rob Ashley's parents And she had a stepfather that had raised her and been really good to her. So the plan was they would go in and they would uh, tie the parents up and Ashley so that it wouldn't look like she was involved. And then they would kill the parent, uh, they would rob them. Well, they had decided they were done with Ashley. And so when she was tied up, they killed her also. And uh, after they killed her, they went up to, uh, I think it was Arlington, and they stabbed some kid on the street. He was a young kid, 18, 19 years old. And uh, stabbed him so brutally, they broke off one of the knives at the at the hilt and uh, got another knife and kept stabbing him. He managed to get into his apartment and uh, where his parents were living and and saved his life. But he was severely so. They ended up killing several people, injuring several people. And honestly, I've never had an interest in seeing anybody executed, but I did for Ricky Javon Gray, and they were allowed. They allowed me to go in and, and witness
2: the execution. Wow. wow, that's a that's a huge story. I do remember that case study and, and you know seeing pictures and even they stick with me now today so uh, i've done the awful. uh
1: class for central virginia yep. several times and, and i teamed up with the forensics guy i've got all of his photos too so um just a whole bunch of stuff they they were looking for uh the harvey's wedding ring and they said uh when they arrested him up in um, i think it was in philadelphia they were interviewing him and they said, yeah, you can, uh, you know, Ashley's got the ring, it's on her finger. And sure enough, they went into the evidence room where they'd taken, you know, her effects after she'd been found dead. And one there of the Harvey's is. family was, was in there. She'd had it on her ring, on her finger.
2: Yes. So, yeah. Bobby, I'm not going to expect you to top it, but. Uh, <laughs> not even going to try. Not even going to try. Jeez.
0: Um, I have had a couple of. Um, multiple homicide arsons. And uh, they were, strangely enough, almost identical circumstances eight years apart. Um, First one, uh, in both instances, the wives had protective orders against their husbands. Um, And in both, both instances, the wives invited the husbands to come, or the husbands wanted to come over and spend time with the kids. The wives allowed them to come spend the night with the kids, um, in the first instance, instance, he, the husband had, uh, recently been arrested by a state trooper in Henrico for road rage, um, Madstrip bonded him out, and, uh, he went over, spent the night with his family, and shot off, shot the wife and both of his kids, and, uh, laid them side by side, and laid down, and, uh, didn't even bother shooting himself, he, uh, died from smoke inhalation um eight years later same thing wife had a protective order husband wanted to spend time with the uh family this guy while the wife was in the house had a five gallon gasoline can and was chasing her around the house uh slinging gasoline at her and on her she made it out the house and uh he went upstairs and dumped it on both of his kids, set them on fire, caught his uh, mother-in-law in the hallway, poured gasoline on her, and uh, set her on fire. She died in the bathroom. His son died in the bedroom. His daughter actually, uh, um, last I heard, she had survived but was grotesquely uh, maimed because she was in bed asleep. He dumped it on her head and lit her on fire. Um, he... Had gasoline all over himself, he set himself on fire, and uh, it was just odd that in both instances they were abusive husbands, and uh, the wives had orders but chose to uh, invite both husbands over, and uh, both both times the end result was the same.
1: You got to be, you have to be, I don't know what the word is, but. To, to set somebody on fire, that's just, to me, is horrendous. I, I just don't know how, I, I just don't understand how anybody can possibly do that. It, I see it, I've seen it, he's seen it, you've seen it, mm-hmm. but it just, to me, it's such, it goes so much further than guns, and I think knives are worse than guns because yeah. it's so much up close yeah. and personal. You set somebody on fire, that's just horrendous. I, I just, I, don't, I still don't understand it after all these years.
0: I was almost disappointed, searched his body, found a partial Walmart receipt in his uh, pocket, pants pocket. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a couple of uh, police detectives to start running around checking the Walmarts. And they pinged him at about 2 a.m. at a Walmart, had him on video buying a gasoline can. Um, It would have been a solid case if he hadn't died. Um, And this guy had... uh, His wife had gone to visit family in Vietnam. And while she was in Vietnam, he called her and said, When you come back, I'm going to kill you. And uh, she still invited him over and allowed him to spend the night. Wow.
2: Well, this took an (laughs) unexpected, (laughs) dark turn here. So, uh, yeah. You asked. As it will will do, yes. mm. I asked. And, uh, you know, I I said about memorable calls in those. Yep, I can understand why well, they certainly are memorable. That uh, that's an indelible mark that uh, will carry around forever. But uh, let's um, change gears to maybe a happier, <laughs> happier topic, <laughs> and that's uh, dogs. Now, I mentioned in the uh, in the intro, we've always called these arson canines. That's not exactly the correct technical term, is it?
0: No. How, what are they? Accelerant detection canines. There you go.
2: And why is that? I mean, is it not? You know, I know the reasons, but uh, <laughs> you don't use gasoline on every uh, fire that's an arson. Or yeah, no. every, every fire no. is
1: not arson. Um, so they're they're supposed to determine the presence. The investigator is supposed to determine the reason. There we go.
2: So, yep. so they're just another tool in the toolbox, as they say. A valuable not, tool, yes. Highly
0: like trained, yes. But uh, yes.
2: Yep. And how how long are these dogs trained? I mean, that you I know I know Bobby's pretty well. Um, I'm assuming yours was uh, Bailey was kind of the same way. They they go through an imprinting process and training before you're introduced to them. Is that right? Yeah. You know, State Farm started many many years ago because I got my dog in '97, so the,
1: it was probably ten years prior to that they started. And what they would do is they would they would search for dogs that a lot of times. Um, Flunked out of like uh, the blind programs or or that type of stuff, because they were they would chase a squirrel or whatever, and that's not a good thing for a, a blind dog. So they uh, they would kind of get these dogs because they were they were good um, trainable dogs, and uh, so the trainers for for Maine and it's called um, Maine Specialty Dogs, and they contracted through State Farm. State Farm sponsored the program. State Farm's uh, view was if we could get this tool in the hands of investigators then cut down on their losses because if you can prove somebody set the fire then you go after them instead of just paying that from the insurance company so they sponsored it they paid for and all of the expenses and they contracted with main specialty dogs paul gallagher ran that program and uh he would get the dogs and then he would start to imprint them over weeks and weeks and weeks and imprinting
2: uh, is just getting them used to smelling yeah. that accelerant or that group of accelerant. exactly the way
1: he explained it to me when we went up there was You know, he'd start throwing the dog, a ball, and the dog would chase the ball. And after a while, you know, whatever it was, days or weeks, put a little little, some gasoline on the ball. And then, of course, the dog starts to associate the ball with the gasoline. And then you start to lessen the gasoline, and next thing you know, you're just putting the gasoline out and the dog, searching it, because he's he's thinking it's for fun. Then you start to, every time he finds it, you give him a little bit of food, and then you kind of transition him to where he's actually getting rewarded with food, and that's how he eats. So with us, I know it's a little different with the ATF dogs. With us, they were always on food reward, which meant uh, the handler had to feed the dog every day, which meant you had to work the dog every day. And uh, that's the only way he was supposed to eat. And uh, so they would train him for, you know, months, basically, and then we would go up there because it was hard to get your firefighters to get away from the station or from the department for a long period of time. So they got it down to about five weeks, You'd go up for five weeks. He'd do two classes, one in the spring, one in the fall. And if you got accepted and awarded the grant, uh, State Farm covered the cost of everything um, with the exception of your salary. Um, they paid for your travel. They paid for your uh, expenses while you were there, um, food, room and board. And uh, you'd go up and train for five weeks with the dog so that you were kind of matched with the dog. And he had a he had a good knack of matching you with the dog. I'm not a very um, – people at the station would disagree but i am not an an overbearing person so i can't have a dog that i've got to really fight with i've got to have a dog that's a little more docile and so he matched me up with bailey and i gotta tell you i walked into that place the first day and it was an old um, i don't know what you call it but they had nuns and brothers living there and it had been built in the 20s it was like almost like plywood shacks but we walked in and this dog was just circling the crate, barking incessantly. That was my dog, and I thought, what have I got myself into? Welcome to your partner. Welcome to my partner. So it was done a little bit differently for us. We went away for five weeks, and we would come back, and uh, you had to pass the test, of course, You know, and, and you learned what the dog learned. So basically when we got there, the dog knew what it was doing. It just had to train the handlers to figure out what they were doing and why they were doing it, and when we get into the – the first calls i'll show you just how, yeah. how much they knew what they were doing and i didn't so and I'll,
2: yeah. I'll share i think i shared this with you the, the incident on the <clears throat> on the fire in petersburg where the dog was trying to tell you something and you I, weren't listening so. i had forgotten about <laughs> yeah. that
1: until you mentioned it yeah
2: yeah bobby uh hero your dog was an atf dog That's a little different program uh, what's the deal with them
0: um it's food reward as well um it's a six-week program for the handler once they're paired with the uh, canine. Um, same background generally as State Farm. They come from, uh, Hero came from
2: Guiding Eyes for the Blind. So um, he failed out of Guiding Eye School, dog. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I like to say he wasn't a good fit because he was curious. There you go. Which made him an excellent detection canine. But um, they all, ATF also gets some from a program called um, Puppies for Prisoners. Um, where inmates raise these puppies to go to um um as, as guiding dog guide dogs for blind um, people and uh, once again if they if they're overly curious or or they have issues that would not make them well suited to as a guide dog atfs handler and their or their their chief trainer and their veterinarian would go to the three uh guide dog um organizations look at the dogs they had and pick the what they felt were the best suited to to be a detection canine um by the luck of the draw they're either going to be explosive detection or uh, accelerant detection canines whatever the next school is um scheduled to be that's what that batch of dogs are going to be imprinted on Uh, so Um, they
2: they uh, obviously atf having a little bit broader footprint than state farm they're they're going to train not only the accelerants but the explosives dogs too and they just, yes. just by the luck of the draw Wouldn't. which program they go into
0: yes okay. yep and they, they kind of did the same uh, same process that mike was describing we had to fill out a, a fairly extensive handler questionnaire um about our backgrounds our, our everything from height weight hair no hair beard um family background wife kids your house the whole nine yards and the uh, chief trainer as they have the dogs they're imprinting them Um, they're observing the dogs and they go through the handler questionnaires and uh, pair the handlers with the dogs and have about a 99 percent success rate Mm -hmm.
2: and i i was in the supervisory role in that time and when we applied for the dog they actually came and interviewed us. Yes. the department, yep. as well as did a home visit for at your place. Yeah. To, pretty comprehensive. Call it the background for the dog. They didn't. They certainly didn't want to put that dog somewhere that uh, yeah it was going to work out. Um, what about what about commitment? I mean, Mike mentioned. I know, Hero, you had to train them. Basically, every time they ate, they were training. Yeah, uh, t- talk a little bit about that whole process and uh, what that took.
0: Um. Hero was imprinted initially on 21 different, um, compounds or liquids, ignitable liquids. Um, I had to train him two hours a day, seven days a week, just like Mike, they're on food reward and, uh, they don't eat out of a bowl. They eat out of the handler's right hand and they have to alert on one of the compounds or substances they're imprinted on and they're rewarded with food. And, uh, that's pretty much it. That's, uh, for six and a half years, Hero ate out of my right hand. That's the only way he ate, um, except for the couple of times that uh, he stayed at your house when yeah, I was out of town. I'll tell you one of those stories too. Okay, <laughs> okay. Monster in my band. Um, but yeah, the, the food reward system—it's um, pretty strong. It's a strong search drive for the yeah. dogs. Um, it's a big commitment. He uh, went on vacation with us and. Uh, Every time I traveled, work related, he went with me and uh, we trained.
1: It's just a way of life. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The uh, The food reward, I, there's, there's play reward for some of the, like the bomb dogs. They they do this thing where they uh, they go in and search and when they come out, they get very animated with the dog and get them, let them play and so forth. But uh, the food rewards is a, a strong system. and But it's a big commitment by whoever handles the dog. Um, you just have to, you can't do the same thing every day because the, the dog will, he'll know exactly what you're doing. I was talking to somebody from the state farm program and and it was, he said his dog was acting weird. He, he wasn't really hitting on where he was supposed to be hitting and uh, and then he noticed he got very efficient and he was watching one day, he said something's wrong. So he was watching and he said uh, he, he was just paying more attention than usual and he goes over and he messes with the can and he lets the dog out of the truck and the dog goes straight to the can that he was messing with, and that's what he was doing. He he he, he, he ran past watching. the other ones. He oh, was yeah. seeing the dog's yeah. breath, and he noticed the dog wasn't even sniffing the other yeah. cans. He knew which can to go to. Absolutely. So yeah. they're smart. So you, as a handler, you have to switch it up and change what you what you are training them on, and and uh, you know where you are putting it, how you are putting it, and uh, the dog will tell you what you want the dog to tell you. And if the dog figures out you just want to feed him, he's totally more than yeah.
2: obliging to eat. Yeah, they're smart hero. When like I say a couple times I got to dog sit him, he would he he would always alert on whatever the first thing I set him on. He 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 was trying to fool me, and you I knew it you. was the third or fifth or the second or whatever item we were working with, and he'd always sit on it. And I got to where I could see him not sniff. Oh yeah, and oh, and yeah. then it was it, he's training me. He'd get to the first one, just kind of put his nose on it, and set up like I'm ready. And I'm like, no, yo, yeah, you. I know you're lying. And he'd go, all right, <laughs> go to the next one. He'd sniff it, and okay, nothing there. Go to the third one. Yep, here it is. Okay, here's your food. They're smart. They are.
0: That that's um, I would imagine State Farm is pretty similar with the ATF program. We had to identify at least two alternate feeders They they're not able to go out and work the dog at yeah. a scene because you have to be certified as a team. But uh, you were one and my wife was an alternate feeder. And uh, as I was, had her out teaching her the basic commands and basic um, um, methodology, hero would do the same thing. She, she would.
2: Oh, so I'm not special.
0: He no, did it to no, her, he too. Did her okay. too. Well, he did it to me the first <laughs> yeah. week in uh canine school in a, Trainers us there when he would sit, and I'd get ready to pay him. They'd go, "Nope," I'd pull him off. And they always know the dummy at the end of the
1: leash, that, and it's not them. That's what State Farm called day. us to yeah. the yeah. dummy, yeah. the idiot yeah. at the end of the lead.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would oh, always, I yeah. was always, always, always yeah. introduce you to as uh, my my top investigator and in Bobby. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I was just his driver. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: I always said, I always said,
2: if my dog learned how to drive the truck, I was out of a job. Exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's all he needed me for.
2: Yeah. What about their personalities? You know, I, I, I watched both dogs work, um, and I and I can think back to looking at just their personalities and how they would react to, at a fire scene or to a to a a sample that might have an accelerant in it. Did, did those change over time, or did they change with what type of fire they were working?
1: Mine doesn't really change so. much, but mine would always, if there was a strong one there, she really got excited. Yeah. And she would do this thing where she would, and we, ours were trained to alert within four inches of the, the strongest source. And so she'd put her nose down, and then she'd sit, and that was the alert. She'd sit, put her nose down, point to it, and look at me waiting for the food. And if I wasn't fast coming with that food, she was like head back down, backing up. Like, what are you doing, fool? <laughs> Feed me. Hey, pay attention. Yeah, And she got, that seemed to be getting a little bit more stronger towards, you know, the end. She worked for a long time. It really wasn't optimal, but the way my career went, I ended up becoming the um, supervisor of the unit and had the dog because I'd had her for, well, I got promoted in 02, so from 97 to 02. And so I kept her going for a while, um, probably longer than I should, but she was still effective at the end. Um, I wasn't doing as much investigating because I was supervising. But she didn't retire until uh, 2000. let see, 97, yeah, 2000. She was 12 years old, 13 years old. Wow. And uh, she worked right up until the very end.
0: That is one thing I'll say that because you have to be a team, certified as a team, one dog, one handler, you know that dogs change them in behavior when they get on scent. Um, yeah. And the sit is not the definitive um sign that they're on scent or the of the alert it's their change of behavior behavior their sniff pattern changes um and each dog's is a little bit different and uh i would always know when hero was on scent he'd make that first he'd do a sweep of his nose and uh then his tail wag would change um not that he ever really got quick but he would start searching more intensely and uh and right when, when the dogs, most of them, when they get on the source, they take that one last hit in and blow it out. And uh, and when you hear that, that exhale from, from their uh, olfactory system, you know they're on it because some scenes just aren't suited for them to sit as yeah. an alert.
1: I was going to say, she didn't like to sit in water. No, And, of course, no. you've got water in all the fire scenes. No. So she'd be trying to sit down and put her head down, and she'd get all contorted. but. Yeah, you're right. She uh, she did have something uh, a little of a tell with her too. When she really got something, her head would she'd be sweeping her head around and it would jerk back. It would just uh, almost like uh, involuntarily, she would jerk back to where that that scent was coming from, and then she she'd point to it again. Um, uh, I you know sitting here talking I really do miss that dog. Yeah. She was incredible. So
0: absolutely best thing I've yeah. done in my career out of everything I've done, yeah. hands down, and within th- my first three days of transferring into the office uh, went out to a fire scene with the guy we were I was riding with the guy that I was replacing out in western Chestfield, and uh, that's when I first saw you and Bailey and I'd always wanted to be some type of canine handler and I saw you two and I'm like that's what I want to do.
1: <laughs> Ar- Archer who ended up Pull replacing me one. Uh, he actually told me one time, I, I went over to uh, Station 13, and I walked in, and he come, I didn't know him from Adam, and he's a larger-than-life personality, but he came out, and he said, I want your job, your car, and your dog, <laughs> and he ended up getting all three oh, of them at yeah. one time, so, yeah, that, it, it, you're right, it was one of the coolest, it's the coolest thing I've ever done in my career.
0: I can't tell you how many student investigators that come through the Fire Marshal Academy that Still ask me to this day. I'll I'll have one or two of them in each school ask about how how do you become a canine handler? It's like well, you learn yeah. how to be a good investigator <laughs> and spend some time, and then
1: if you're lucky, yeah. And yeah. you do have to be a good investigator before yeah. you get a dog. If you don't know, if you don't know what you're doing, the dog will he, they will wear you out.
2: Wow. So. So, so that brings up an interesting question. You know, they, they, I, I know a little bit about the ATF program, but. Uh, from mike's perspective did you have any kind of a commitment to state farm did um did they require anything beyond you just working the dog in the city of richmond
1: not really you know state farm and you remember this was back in 97 um they didn't really they kind of they just kind of briefly mentioned that we'd like the dog to stay in service for five years Uh, they didn't typically take the dogs back you know even if it didn't last for five years but um uh, after about two years, you could pretty much count on keeping the dog because they were going to train another one anyway. And to get them, to get the dog to come off of what you did and to a new handler was kind of difficult. Um, I know when Archer went, they were asking for a five-year commitment, and uh, and because I remember Archer went, he he was tr- going to transfer back to the field. He was getting close to retirement, and and he didn't want to lose his dog. In fact, I, he just recently, within the last. Uh, probably month and a half two months um Ellie passed away mm-hmm. and and he's had her since 2000 I guess 2000 and so he and he was tore all to pieces of course she retired with him down in Florida so uh but yeah the commitment was about 5 years after 5 years they they considered the the dog was you know there was not a there was some useful life for the dog in the work field but it was so hard to to make the transition to a new team member so um they kind of wanted to they did say that they wouldn't let promotions interfere. So if you got a dog and got promoted, they didn't want to hold the, the individual back, so they would they would take the dog back in the first two years. And after that, they would just retire the dog, and the dog could stay with the handler if they wanted. I don't know anybody that didn't take the dog when they retired. They become nope. part of the family. Yeah.
2: So your, your work outside of Richmond was more part of that Central Virginia Fire and Arson Association and mutual aid just as an investigator, and you just happened to have the tool of the dog with you.
1: Yeah, um, but you got to remember too, uh, Ma- and I have to credit Jack McElfish, You know, he was the chief that he we I, I didn't know what an arson dog was. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And he came over and he was talking to uh, Harold Beavers, who was the fire marshal at the time, and he said something about if you considered it an arson dog. And and Chief Beavers wasn't really all that hept on it. But uh, when Beavers retired, Johnny Tunstall came in the office as the fire marshal and. Uh, I think within the first month, I was doing the report, the uh, exploratory report for the dog, and uh, it became something I was very interested in doing. Just it just seemed cool, and uh, so I did the report and kind of showed, you know, explained what the dog was, you know, what the commitment would be from the department, and um, I had a good chief at the time, so it really worked out very well, and uh, I got called. I went as far as um, Wintergreen went down to Richmond County. Um, I, I traveled a lot across the state. I was working on trying to get, you know, a helicopter ride out of the deal one time, but just the circumstances never presented. But, uh, yeah, so it was under that and, and, uh, we made ourselves available and it really worked because, uh, I had support from the top. Chief Creasy at the time was, uh, the, the fire chief and, um, Bailey was I was on the second floor. He was on the third floor, and his exe- executive secretary, Mary Beth Nivers, was still there. And uh, I'd leave Bailey in my office. She was fairly, you know, low key. And I'd come down, and she, I'd leave my office for a few minutes, come back, and she'd be gone. I didn't know where she was. She sit up in the chief's middle the chief's of his all. floor, getting belly rubs, <laughs> and uh, that's just where she did. So yeah, she became kind of a, a member of the family, <laughs> fire department, and at home. So. Yeah,
2: did you have to go back up to uh, Was it Maine to get recertified every so often, or did
1: they would do it? Um, he used to do it four times throughout the year, so you could go to <laughs> one throughout, one. and and you uh, went for three days, so you had a travel day on either end. So it was a five day. Usually you arrive on Monday and and uh, test on or train or demonstrate Tuesday, Wednesday. He'd do a little more training, take you to a fire scene. Somebody would host it throughout the country. So you could make one of the the four. I think it, when Archer was doing it, they had gotten it down to one or two during the year. And, um, and you know, they actually, there's um, an arson dog monument in uh, Washington, D.C. at uh, I forget the station, but it's close to the Capitol. Oh, wow. And uh, one of the guys in the main program, um, he's from Colorado, he's the one that spearheaded it. Got all the fundraising done, so there's a there's a firefighter in a you know fire gear, and he's got the dog, and it says arson canine on it, and uh, it's it's at that fire station. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit of a commitment and a little bit of a uh, family stuff. So, cool.
2: yeah. What about the ATF dog, Bobby? What uh, what was different about their program? Um, probably the difference in uh,
0: recertification is we went somewhere different every year around the country um like hero and i went to nashville memphis um up to long island uh there was actually one atf dog in canada in ottawa and one year they decided ottawa wanted to host research and atf was on board and uh, logistically that was quite the endeavor
2: getting him across the border
0: getting across well not so much him we all all being sworn we had to stop at the um, <clears throat> New York State Police barracks at the border and they stored our weapons in their armory while we, while we went across the border and went through our week long in service and uh, came back picked up our weapons and but okay. uh, also it was a bit of a uh, not so much for me in Chesterfield but some of the guys their departments were a little uneasy about taking their department vehicles into another country. Mm-hmm. Um, risk managers, probably, if I had to put my money on it.
2: <laughs> so, did did the ATF have their dogs assigned to their ATF agents, or was their canine program strictly local, you know, grants or this program like we were in to locals, and then ATF used the local guys as their accelerant? canine resource?
0: Initially both, a little bit of both. They had some agents that were canine handlers for both accelerant and explosive detection dogs and uh, they had some local guys that were handlers for either accelerant or explosive detection dogs. It kind of over time kind of morphed into they had agents that were explosive detection handlers but um, all of their accelerant Dog handlers were local guys that were um, that were part of um, an ATF task force. We were assigned to a task force, one of the uh, national response teams, and uh, I don't think I ever told you guys. We towards the end of graduating the class, we had to fill out what was called a pink packet and have backgrounds and all, and uh, sworn as um, federal law enforcement, being on the uh, federal task force. Yeah. yeah did you ever
2: get activated on the task force at all or?
0: twice one time um i got there and said i'm not working my dog um which is the canine handler has final say so regardless of who requests them or who is uh on scene and it was a it was a pesticide plant in lynchburg i believe it was if i remember and, uh, no, nothing
2: could go wrong there. there. Like now, you know, <laughs> Here, I'm, sniff this. I'm
0: not putting my dog there. I've been, no. So, yeah, I went a couple of times. Um, of course, one of my classmates, which was a um, North Carolina SBI, or State Bureau of Investigations agent, um, he drew a uh, national response team call to uh, Hawaii, um, another from, one of my from cla- North Carolina. Yes, yeah. One of my class, my other classmates uh, went to Guam. Um, had one went to Puerto Rico, but all of my stuff was in Virginia. Mm. Um, I couldn't get out of the state to <laughs> save my life.
2: <laughs> Crazy. So, how did the um, any? I want to get into talking about a couple of incidents, and uh, the one that just popped into my mind for you, Bobby, and I wasn't there, but I remember. I can't remember who was with you. You were working a fire scene in Chesterfield. And we were on the front porch and you'd actually fallen you'd fallen through the front porch, broke your wrist, and Hero almost wouldn't leave you. They were trying yeah. to get Hero away from, from you to get you out from under, out from stuck in the porch and take care of your wrist and Hero yeah. was upset.
0: Yeah. The porch was probably, I don't know, four or five feet off the ground. We'd been we'd been cleaning the porch for a good half hour. And I started working Hero across the porch, and uh, it was almost like slow motion. I heard a crack, and he broke through, and I reached down with my left arm and grabbed him and pulled him up to my chest, and my feet broke through. And uh, like an idiot, I put my right hand or my right arm out to try and break the fall. And You broke it, the fall, it, all right. As <laughs> soon as I went through there, I knew it was broken, and he was I was kind of laying on my back. Precariously, and he was on my chest. I was holding him, and they, one of them, ran under there to try and pick pick me up. And I was partially through the hole, and I was telling them to get him off me and off the porch and check him. And uh, so I eventually got there, and I was laying in the yard because it hurt pretty bad. It, it was no doubt if it was broken, and uh, and he he was kind of glued to me. And so they called the ambulance. I told them to call my wife, get her get him to her and for her to take him to the vet to be checked and that I'd be all right going to the hospital. But yeah, I was, I was pretty worried about him when he broke through first. Yeah.
2: Any other major calls? And there's one I want to talk about that uh, I think I shared with you. That, uh, any other big calls that kind of stick out when you were working with him?
0: I worked a fire in a, uh, in, in a storage room in a food line and, uh, I made them sure the manager told I, I was the lead investigator. I got called out there and just happened to have him with me. And uh, so I told the manager, "Gather up all your people." I told him exactly where I wanted them. It just so happened they were outside of a bay door, and I took him in there and started working him. And uh, and he started alerting. And uh, after I was finished putting him back up, and I was getting my evidence collection kit out to collect evidence, this one employee walked up and said. Uh, I need to confess, I did it. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, "You gotta be kidding me!" I said. yeah, So, in the, in the uh, interview process after placing him under arrest, I said, "So why did you just walk up and in, admit to it?" And he said, "I saw the dog doing something, so I know you had me."
2: <laughs> did he use accelerant, or did he did oh, he alert? Yeah, yeah. he okay.
0: alerted. Yeah, and uh, the guy didn't know what he saw. <laughs> but he knew that it was bad, for him anyway.
2: <laughs> Uncle, I give up, I yeah, yeah, it was like, whoa, okay. Mike, any any big incidents with Bailey, do uh, you remember? Well, it's funny, because
1: I, I, she went with me every day to work. So she was with me all the time. And uh, so she worked just about anything I worked. And, of course, I was doing investigations. But I want to tell you about two of them. And it's, it's weird, because when you told me you wanted to do this, these two came to mind. The first and the last calls that she worked. The first one was on Mosby. I hadn't been back two days and get called for a fire, obviously an arson fire. There's a fire in the living room. There's a fire in the kitchen. There's it was about seven, two of them upstairs in the bedroom. I don't know where else. But the, they're the projects. So they've got their, their um, tile floors. They're built uh, concrete floors with tile on top of them. So the water was sitting an inch deep. You know, when you're stepping in it, you're stepping in an inch deep of water, and I not got this new new fun tool that's really cool, and I got the neat truck, and I ain't got a clue what I'm doing, and uh, she knows what she's doing, and so you know, I got everybody out of the the firefighters out of the the apartment, and I bring her in, and you know, I'm nervous, of course, trying not to show it, and I take her inside, and you've got in the living room, as you first walk in the front door, there's a table in the middle of the floor, and there's a sofa and a chair, that's about it. Tables burned. Didn't really get into flashover stage, so it's just, just the, uh, just the. Um, Speaking we're of talking about dogs, dogs and, <laughs> and <laughs> the cats meowing over there. Yeah. She, she's jealous. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I'm looking at the table, and it's not. This room's not totally charred. It's just the tables burned. You know, the floor is all white, and and uh, but there's an, uh, about an inch of water on the floor, and she comes in, and she starts alerting everywhere and i'm like what in the heck is it? Uh, you know i'm trying to look all cool calm and collected i'm like what is this dog doing <laughs> she's she's alerting literally everywhere and i don't want to not feed her because i don't know and i take her through the apartment and so i try to play it cool i go put her back in the truck like you do you know let them get their their old factories back into some semblance of normal and i go back in and start turning things over a little bit and sure enough there was a daggone can of lighter fluid under the table, and it had leaked into the water, so it had gone all over, over the all over floor. The, floor. <laughs> the guy that, and what the words rang through my head: "Trust your dog, you idiot." <laughs> yep. And uh, so she. And then the last one was this was really cool. We got called to Hopewell to help Saw and uh, they had a it was a house fire. Suspicious guy walking down the street had had um. Had, were you there for this? No, but he told me. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy was walking down the street he found the fire he was a suspect of course and and so I, I took bailey in and she hit on a couple of spots it was a little inconclusive whether it was you know a, a true arson whether they didn't pour a lot of gasoline or not but i go put her back in the truck and boy comes up to me and says we'd like to check him to see if he's got any accelerants on his clothes because of course an arson if they're if they're splashing gas they're going to splash it on themselves however they could have just put gas in the car 10 minutes before they got there so as an investigator, you, you do the check, and then you figure out whether it's supposed to be there or not. And so Boiso says, let's, let's check him, see if he's got any gas on him. I said, all right, you want him to know, or you want to just do it surreptitiously? And he said, let's just not let him know. I said, all right. I said, y'all start talking to him. So said, I think it was Boiso, one of the fire uh, officers, a state police guy, and a, a Hopewell police officer. We're all standing around him. I just put Bailey in work mode and walked up to him, and I'm standing with the group. And she ain't been there. Two seconds and she's pointing to his shoe like feed me idiot this is right here <laughs> and so the guy looks down and he goes god dog it i knew you were going to find it and he kicks his shoe off and he takes the marijuana out of his shoe <laughs> yeah so bailey got me she got a got drug. <laughs> she got a, dr- <laughs> got a drug arrest before she retired that was one of her last that was it was probably if it wasn't the last it was close to it so that that's always a cool story, but yeah. she worked she worked just about anything I went on um it was just we had her there, so I'd work her make sure there was nothing there, and then I would uh you know take her outside and, and put some drops down so I could
2: feed her It'd be the training training event for the day the training
1: mm-hmm. event, because of uh, course you wanted to get used to being inside oh, all yeah. the debris and the water and and the the the, the heat the smoke the lyre, the sirens. I'll tell you this one quickly too, but uh i've you know I've never I've drawn my weapon you know doing searches and so forth um and making some arrests here and there but i've never really came close to discharging my weapon in in all of the years i was in the fire marshal's office except once and we were on south side and the the uh the animal control guy was there jason burrow and uh the people had left the house they'd set it on fire they moved out they set it on fire but they left their dogs in the backyard in a pen and uh there's a lot of noise generators running you know the the trucks are all idling and i'm standing out there with with bailey i've just worked her and i'm headed back to the truck to put her away and i you could barely hear it, but i heard mike mike somebody's yelling at me and i turned around and this pit bull is coming across the yard and i swear he is at full gallop coming straight at us and i'm like what the heck so i reach down and i'm like stop i'm screaming stop and Pulling my weapon out, I had it pointed right at his head, and I was pulling the trigger at that time, and that dog pulls up at the last second, and <laughs> he's panting because he wanted to play with Bailey. He just wanted to play. Oh, wow. my God. Scared. Still, it makes my heart palpate just talking about it. That dog was, oh, my God, it was incredible. Got to take care of the dog, though. Very expensive dogs, too, um, yep. when you figure what it costs to train them
2: and the investment that they put, the departments put into the uh, two, uh, two incidents that I I kind of harken back to, and, and Bobby, I wasn't at this one either, but I remember you telling me the story. You got called, I think it was to Fort Lee for a church fire. Yes. Is that the one where uh, you kind of worked him around the perimeter of the church and he decided to go for a little walk? Yep, the oldest uh, oldest church on the post.
0: It was over 100 years old. And uh, ATF call out because uh, Army CID or Criminal Investigation Division, they don't work fires, so uh they called us down there as part of the task force and uh I worked He rode through uh, the only thing remaining was um the foundation of the church it was gone so it was a cold scene when we got there, so worked him around the interior and he alerted on a couple of uh at a couple of spots and uh one thing I always did was an area open area search um after working him through the interior of a structure, particularly if he alerted, and it kind of a spiral search pattern expanding outward, and he alerted on a pile of bricks. Um, we tore that apart and found a pair of, oh, a set of MRE matches, or pack, and uh, they ended up coming back positive from the lab later, but um, uh, continued the uh, expander, expanding spiral, and he did that nose sweep and he paused and uh, stretched the leash, leash out and stretched my arm out. We went for a run down through the woods and, uh, and got to an obstacle course. And there's a, uh, one of the um, events there is a slide for life, which is a diagonal cable. You climb up the, uh, this frame, it's kind of like a large ladder. They're actually uh, six by six um, wooden cross members and uh, then you get up on this platform, and you slide down face first. Military does not frequently. Um, so he stops there and runs his nose across the bottom rung, basically, hops up on that runs his nose across the next rung, and then looked up. And, uh, and sure enough, our boy had been up there. Uh, he was a uh, disgruntled Army private in, in basic training, and uh, he broke into the church, set it on fire, and, that's where he was hiding, and uh, that's awesome.
2: And the hero tracked him down.
0: He did. He did.
2: And again, just shows how smart they are. And um, the one incident that I, you know, I, I mentioned, I was a supervisor at the time when uh, when we got Hero. But the kind of the incident that made me think, oh yeah, we got to have one of these, was a Central Virginia case down in Petersburg, and uh, they called out the uh, Central Virginia task force. I went down. Uh, working with some of the ATF guys, and, and Mike came down with Bailey, and um, I remember Mike getting there, and we were talking about kind of the plan and how we're going to do this, because it was a strip shopping center with a kind of a 7-Eleven on one end that didn't wasn't, didn't look burned, and then maybe two or three doors down was an old tattoo parlor that was burnt one end to the other. It was burnt down the f- uh, frame around the sidewalk, had dropped down on the sidewalk, and had three or four feet of debris laying on top of it. and. We were standing by the Seven Eleven where there wasn't any debris, and Bailey's like punching you in the leg and putting her nose up against the window of the Seven Eleven. And once uh, somebody goes, "Look at look at what she's pointing at, Mike!" And sure enough, that's where they had found a Molotov cocktail at the bottom of that, where and you could see the stain over the window where the the <laughs> bottle had broken on the window, but not broken the window, and fire had been there. And I remember you saying, "Well." you're smarter than me and better <laughs> right there and uh, well, they don't call us the idiot at the end of the league. Yeah, exactly nothing. <laughs> and uh and from there we went kind of over to where the the yeah. sidewalk was in the tattoo parlor and again three or four feet of debris yeah. and um she alerted kind of not real strong i now that i know what i was looking at not real strong alert and it was like you said well dig about two feet off of this and see how close we can get to the bottom and sure enough dig a couple of feet down and run her back over it again. She alerts a little stronger now. And I dig another foot, but don't go all the way to the bottom. And We did that three or four times and got down to where she put her nose on the neck of the glass bottle that had the rag in it that was the Molotov cocktail. And I said, we got to get us one of these <laughs> because we could have been there for days digging yeah. that scene and never even found that, and yeah. that was, I think, uh, critical. to could, could
1: have missed it because, you, you know, the firefighter. And I've noticed that the firefighter want to help and they want to learn what you're doing but it's a you're digging differently as an investigator yeah. and so if you get them to do it you might have thrown it out with yeah. the stuff so. big big coal shovel scoop yeah, it at a time exactly. Well, yeah if, right. you, if
0: as an investigator if you tell a uh, truck crew uh, clean this room out for me they are <laughs> going to do it it's yes. going to be, it's and gonna and be it's moving gonna, in ready and, and it's going to be out in the
2: yard a big pile that's <laughs> right <and, laughs> that's right yeah Crazy. well uh, we've been at it uh, close to an hour now um Maybe a little over, but uh, any parting words? Yeah, uh, you know, I kind of like to to give the opportunity for for you guys, particularly with. I oh, got ready to do the math. Let's just call it. It's well north of uh, sixty years of of uh, service, sitting across the table from me. Uh, you get the opportunity to sit and talk to either a recruit school, or uh, you. Know, well, Bobby gets this opportunity now quite frequently. A, a graduating law enforcement academy for fire marshals. What to what uh, what kind of advice would you give them? Uh, to make their career successful as they're going forward to these new folks coming on the job today, um, firefighters
1: bitch a lot, <laughs> and uh, it's inherent in the job. Apparently, they they solve all of the world's problems at the coffee table, and then they bitch about them in the afternoon. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and and you know, and sometimes they're justified. But uh, and I told my crew two days ago when I was on shift, and uh, and I firmly believe it it's the greatest job in the world it, it truly is not many people get to play with half million dollar toys and that's basically what the way we look at it um very few people get the charge with the responsibility of, of doing the things that we do and and uh, when typically we get there things are bad and when we leave things are better and uh i've been doing this for 37 years and uh, I hated what I was doing before I came into fire service. I was a food service salesman, and I was getting depressed (laughs) on Sundays because I had to go back to work on Monday. And I can honestly say there haven't been many days that I haven't wanted to come to work, so um, consider it a privilege. Um, Not only do you get to serve the public and you get to do good, um, you get to have a good time doing it, and you will meet lifelong friends that become family in the process. So uh, don't ever forget it. And when you bitch... Do it wholeheartedly, but then remember at the end of it, it's the best job in the world. Bob?
0: As a rule, I tell them all, and I've I've spoken to uh, police academy recruits, fire academy recruits, and new investigators, and I tell them kind of the same thing. It's never a job when you look forward to going to work every day and you're having fun doing it and it's you're it's you almost feel guilty well I won't go that far um (laughs) some people might feel guilty getting paid to do it but um yeah I I really don't feel like I had to work a day in my life um after coming to public safety work now not unlike you I was I did heat and air conditioning and, and uh man i could not have ever dreamed of doing that for an entire lifetime um it was a gift getting to do everything i've had the opportunity to do and uh, the icing on the cake obviously and uh, was, was being a canine handler um, yeah, I'd agree hands with
1: that. down i'd agree with that 100 percent. that yeah. was that's honestly the highlight of the career yep. i mean you you get to do some awesome stuff you, you're on the inside of, of a lot of the stuff that people see on the news and read in the newspaper. You're, you're there and see it firsthand and get to affect the outcome. But then you get that dog, and, and if you think about it, I don't know how many we've had in Virginia, but it couldn't have been more than 10, 12 mm. over the years. Yeah, uh, Bailey was one of the – she was the first. She wasn't the first in the state. She was the first in this region. And um, he said it. He wanted one. You wanted one. Archer wanted one. And uh, – It's just that's the
2: icing on the cake. It really has been a cool experience to be a part of that. Pretty amazing. And um, I'll uh, just kind of start wrapping this up and uh, just with a quick shout-out to our listeners to say thanks for everybody for uh, listening in, uh, whatever – podcast platform you're on just uh, make sure you s- hit that subscribe button and um, so you'll get notified of new up new episodes uh, when I started this I was going to be about uh, shooting for every two weeks and occasionally we'll get one out every week or so so as we got folks available and uh, get the opportunity to sit down with them and share their stories uh, those will come out maybe a little more frequently than every other week but certainly no less than that so uh, if you're uh, out there make sure you give us a thumbs up or a rating uh, subscribe to us and uh, I'll ask uh, anybody who's listening to make to give me a shout and let me know who you want to hear from. I've, I've uh, gotten some great suggestions. Um, you know, Russ Chandler was one of them that somebody mentioned. We've got a couple others on, on the, on the agenda looking forward to, to sitting down and talk to in the coming weeks and months. And, um, if uh, any listeners want to hear from somebody, I certainly like to hear from them. And, uh, you can drop me a, a email at firehouselogbook at com, or follow along on Twitter at FD logbook or Instagram at FD logbook podcast. And, uh, Appreciate you guys uh, for being here, uh, retired Lieutenant Bobby Ralston. Thanks for the, thanks for the tutelage and the nudge to go to the fire marshal's office back in the day. And uh, maybe the next time we can get together on a podcast. We'll get Terry Newcomb in here and we'll start t- telling some of those stories. And priceless. That, that would, will be priceless. Really <laughs> priceless. And uh, Mike, uh, thanks for thanks for your service. Thanks for opening the door for canines in Richmond in the Richmond area. And uh, you kind of broke that ground early on. And it's uh, like you said, it's been a bunch of them ever since. And uh, we appreciate your service uh, to Richmond and showing us the way. And uh, I think you're pretty close to that retirement window now. And uh, wish you a safe journey the last several months that you're on the job and uh, enjoy your retirement. Thank you. Thanks for having me.